Welcome to Wellness Connections with the Solutions Group, a passionate team of health and wellness experts that believe every workplace and every community can be a wellness avenue for positive change in the physical and emotional health of individuals. Our experience in workplace wellness inspired us to bring this passion and knowledge to the podcast stage. Sharing real-world stories and science-based practices, your wellness is an ongoing act of creation and we hope to inspire you on that adventure. Hello and welcome back to Wellness Connections with the Solutions Group. Today we have a guest returning, Megan Merchant, who is joining us today to talk about a very important topic that I think everybody sometime in their life probably struggles with in some form, and that's all about sleep. So Megan is a health educator with 20 years of experience, and she works with individuals and groups to foster positive, sustained behavior change for enhanced life quality and longevity. She is known for her 10 years of work at the University of New Mexico, where she designed and led more than 75 collegiate courses on topics including stress, sleep, conflict mediation, human sexuality, activity and aging, social dance fitness, and more. Megan has a bachelor's degree in dance and a master's degree in physical education from the University of New Mexico. And she's also a dual certified health coach by the American Council on Exercise and the Dr. Sears Wellness Institute. So Paige and I are excited to be chatting with you again and just learning from you about this topic because I think both Paige and I can probably attest to maybe even currently having a little bit of struggles with sleep. So thanks, Megan, for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me back. One of the beautiful things that we hear about people is in common, we all share that need to sleep. And there's a certain time of day when everyone in the world is asleep. And that's kind of a peaceful thought whenever I hear that or think about that. Absolutely. So I was kind of curious, Megan, with your background in vast knowledge and well-being and health coaching, was sleep a topic that you were instantly drawn to and knew the importance of? Or was it something that you would hear your health coaching clients talk about and realized it was something that you needed to address? It was definitely more of the second. And what happened was several years ago, I was actually teaching a dance fitness class when one of my students came to me outside and we just sat down on a bench together and she said, I came to your 11 o'clock ballroom class because I want to start an earlier morning habit. And she shared a lot of symptoms of depression, fatigue, being on medication, trying to get her body to wake up early and be quote unquote, the social normal, that kind of eight to eight schedule. And I had just in my stress management class had a student present about this book, The Power of When. It's by Dr. Michael Bruce. And I had gotten the book and read it and it talked all about how we have four different types of sleep. And I just started sharing this resource with the student saying, well, it really sounds like you're a late riser, late sleeper. And there are you know, resources that we can give with you. You can read them, play with them and see how it goes. And within six months, she came back to me, just a completely transformed person. She said, I lined up my social schedule with my sleep schedule. I let my family know, you know, what 
time of day would be best to get together with them instead of them telling me I'm right or wrong about when I sleep. <laughs> and she found a social group late at night who was up when she was up. It was just, I mean, she went off medication. I've never seen anything so revolutionary. And I think that's what a lot of people seek when they're thinking about their health and their sleep is what's normal as opposed to what do I need? What's right for my body? And we're all grappling with that challenge. Yeah, I mean, I love the theme of um, what's right for me because I think what we can get caught up in in the wellness space, people can say, well, if that works for you know the majority of the population, then that must be the right way to approach it. And I think there has been a shift in recent years to like, hey, you know, I need to really start tuning into my body, my needs versus trying to fit into, you know, quote unquote, a norm of how I should approach it. So that actually, so it's called the book. I just want to make sure it's called The Power of When. Yes. Yes. Okay. By Dr. Michael Bruce. And he's known as The Sleep Doctor. So you can find him at thesleepdoctor.com. And he's also uh, was for a time on the board of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. So he's very well respected. But you know, to continue Paige's question, uh, my the, uh, chair of our department then a year or two later asked me to create and run a sleep course. And I was fortunate to be able to talk with him and use his resources as a core component of building out the course and help hundreds of students in just a four week period talking about these topics. So I just, again, shout out to him, having great mentors and having amazing resources is definitely the first step to finding your flow. <laughs> yeah, just hearing you talk about how everyone has this individualized sleep pattern or sleep schedule, it just makes me think even throughout our life cycle, it feels like that fluctuates. Like I remember being a teenager and it was so hard to get out of bed, um, you know, before nine or 10 a.m., especially on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And um, do you have any information on how our sleep cycle might change throughout our lifespan? Absolutely. And what you just shared is teenagers do need a lot of sleep. And we start out as infants only awake six hours a day, and they're not all at once, which is why it's so hard for parents who have infants to coordinate care for our infants. But as we move into the adolescence and the teenage years, we still need 10 to 11 hours of sleep. And if we think about our kids nowadays, that means you've got to go to bed at nine and maybe get up at seven or eight. And how unrealistic that kind of is for a lot of kids nowadays, both with getting up really early to get to school, working after school, coming home and wanting to watch TV or be social with friends. Maybe they'll crash in bed at 10 or 11 at night. Um, it's, it's something that we definitely have to work on and strive for. But yes, then as we move into adults and in our older years, it decreases from depending on how active you are, to seven to nine hours. And then there are some people who only need six hours a day. We call that a light sleeper. But light sleepers only make up about 10% of the population. So you don't want to think, oh, I'm one of the light sleepers. That's only one out of 10 people. 50% are heavy sleepers, meaning they need to go to bed early and wake up late. They just need that half of the day to sleep. And then equally, there are 15 to 20% who rise early, go to bed early. And there are 15 to 20% of people who rise late and go to bed late. So uh, Dr. Bruce has a 
chronotype is what it's called, sleep quiz. You can go and take and it will help you figure out which of these four types of sleepers you are. Your sleep type is not set for your whole life. It can change. Again, with your activities, for women in particular, our hormone profiles and going through menopause and infants. <laughs> um, so don't think, oh, okay, I am the sleeper. I have to fit the schedule of my whole life. It will fluctuate and that's okay. I mean, I think that's so important because two things, your student that came to you that was having a lot of mental health, she realized was connected to, you know, her sleep and that she was trying to maybe, you know, do it the way her family was, but she just adjusted. But it does make me think about for those of us who might have kiddos who are teenagers, being a little bit more open to maybe what works well for them. But also to your point, I think it's really hard in modern day with cell phones, et cetera, for parents to really manage that and help them sleep more um, because it's so alluring to be like, but I want to be on my device or et cetera. And I actually had um, one of my son's co athletic coaches said, get your cell phones out of your son's rooms. And he was more yeah. speaking from a like academic and sports performance perspective, but he was like, mm -hmm. your kids are not going to sleep and like have the, um, you know, self-discipline to put their devices away themselves. So help them sleep better by getting their devices out of their, you know, rooms at night. So that, I, so you talked about the four types of sleep, but I, and I'd like to just understand like how bad of an impact does technology light have on our sleep? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll kind of serve in the opposite perspective that natural light is one of the best things that helps us start the day and wake up in the day. So in the morning, if we can give our kids natural light, either by, you know, not walking in their room and opening the curtain or anything like that, but considering what is the room environment in which every single one of us sleeps. And for people who work night shifts, they often use, um, artificial light that is either red warm or a warm yellow because that helps stimulate natural light. And then the artificial lights, the blue light, LEDs and device that really mess with the brain and don't allow us to relax. So what you're saying is right on point that if you can take out blue light, LED light and device technology, some people say the best is two hours before bed. I've heard one hour. I've heard 30 minutes. I would say any amount of time within that two hour window that you can stop is just an improvement in your routine. That's helpful. So what if you're somebody who has to work later into the evening sometimes, or you, you know, maybe like to read on a Kindle device or something like that? What advice would you have for those people? So for those people, you can get light filters so they can get screens to put on their devices that will help decrease the blue light output. There's also glasses you can buy that are light filters. Um, but kind of what I hear you saying is, what does that routine look like? And a lot of people come to sleep class going, I want to set the time I go to bed and the time I wake up. And really what we have control over is what I call the rising routine, that two hours between waking up and really getting into your day and your resting routine. The two hours that you choose and decide are going to be slowing down and transitioning from fully productive to fully asleep. 
So depending on when someone wants to work or be active, they can kind of look at, okay, my biological rhythm is when I want to be awake, want to go to sleep. My social rhythm is when the world actually tells me I have to do these things, like show up at work. And how can I bring the two into closer alignment? The virtual work environment has been in some ways beneficial because people can schedule their meetings early in the morning if they're an early riser or late at night if they're late or middle of the day when usually everyone is awake. <laughs> and there's not that demand to like show up at a certain place at a certain time. On the other hand, it can make a a little too flexible where maybe I don't fully engage in a rising routine where I get dressed, eat breakfast, act as though I'm transitioning into that fully productive state. And then the same thing at night, putting on your pajamas, taking a warm washcloth to your face, turning down the lights and getting ready to go to bed. So, so I'd like to maybe explore that a little bit more for our listeners, especially, I mean, Paige and I, just this year have actually created a couple different programs. One was called morning routine um, mm -hmm. about practices that really help you set the stage for a good day, not necessarily specific to sleep patterns, but just, you know, grounding your day. And then we also did a program called unpack your day, which is really about, you know, kind of routines that kind of close the work day. But if we look at the types of things that practical routines, like, you know, that people can do to encourage really quality sleep, regardless if they're the type that you talked about, you know, the type of sleeper that they are, what might, you know, be kind of your biggest tips for somebody to, you know, um, do in that unpacking or closing out their sleep routine versus that opening routine? Sure. So for everyone listening, what's important for them to do first is just start tracking their day and figuring out what would ideal times be for productivity, for rest, for self-care. And they'll start to see trends and they'll start to be able to make changes based on what works for them when they should be productive. Um, in terms of overall sleep, there are three things they need to look at. One is physical activity, because something we don't think about with physical activity and sleep is that it burns stress byproducts is building up all day, our chemical physiology. You know, a lot of people are trying to have panic attack. Well, what is a panic attack? It's all those byproducts and the body starts shaking and tremoring to try and burn them off. So if you start to feel a panic attack coming on, one thing you can do is walk around. And before you go to bed, just walk back and forth in the hallway, calm, relaxing, and you're physiologically getting the body ready to relax. So it's not exercise, you know, full-born, get your heart going. It's just stress release. The next thing is calming your internal environment. So we hear about meditation, quieting the mind, relaxing the mind. And then the third thing is quieting the external environment. So we can look at, at specific to our rest time, what temperature do you need to feel comfortable when you sleep? What sounds do you need? And both of those are usually what are similar and familiar. So a lot of people mm -hmm. laugh. If you grew up in the city, you might need traffic noises and lots of noise to sleep. If you grew up in the country, you might need quiet and crickets. And so it's not necessarily one is better than the other. It's what is familiar and comfortable to you. 
And we already talked about light, which is the natural red and yellow, making things dim. But then lastly is sleep hygiene, clean bed, clean pillow, clean PJs, clean body, so that the air quality and the comfort around you when you sleep is as comfortable as it can be for you. All of those things are super helpful. And I like how you kind of speak to customizing your rising or your resting routine. So it sounds like there's things you can do that are very personal, whether maybe some music you put on or the sounds or bring a cup of tea or just kind of that wind down ritual that helps you relax into that deep rest state. So something else I'm curious about is I'm a big coffee drinker. Mm -hmm. That's definitely part of my rising ritual. But I know things like caffeine and alcohol and even types of meals that we eat can have an impact on our sleep. So what insights do you have around scheduling perhaps our caffeine intake or should we avoid it altogether? Oh, that's a great question. So both caffeine and alcohol are something that are going to be different across different people in terms of sensitivity, ability to metabolize and break down, and what your reactions are to it. For caffeine, the research shows that as soon as you drink it, that burst of energy peaks at about 15 minutes. It can last for five to eight hours, but it can also last up to 12 hours. So keep in mind when you start drinking caffeine, what time do you wanna to go to sleep? <laughs> or what time do you wanna be most productive? Something that helps is to take it in small bits. So for example, a piece of dark chocolate is 25 milligrams. A cup of coffee is about 100 to 150 milligrams. So how do you want to pace out your caffeine through the day? Uh, what caffeine does in the brain is it blocks what's called adenosine. Adenosine is the chemical that tells us to go to sleep. And over our 16-hour waking day, it will build, 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 build. If caffeine blocks it, it's going to create more adenosine because it's trying to tell us, you're gonna be tired, go to sleep. So when you hear people have that caffeine crash, oh, my caffeine wore off, now I'm really exhausted because that adenosine is so strong. But if we, again, moderate, do smaller amounts of caffeine, that adenosine won't get so high. Um, a toxic cycle we wanna avoid is caffeine all day and then alcohol at night because we think alcohol will help us sleep. But alcohol, um, causes our part of our brain to stay awake so we don't go into REM deep sleep dreaming sleep which means we can't integrate memories which means if like say a student in college studied all day then they had a drink before bed all of that study would go to waste and a lot of college students hear this and go oh my gosh I'm not going to have a beer tonight to relax because I won't sleep and I won't retain everything that I've just worked so hard to do um so that's really important. If you have alcohol, do one drink of alcohol with three equivalents of water to help purge the system and keep your toxicity levels low. Uh, but I hope that I answered your question with caffeine. Do it early, do it in small doses, just to give you a little energy burst, but not so much that you're gonna have that counter effect of a crash and fatigue later on. Yeah, big time. And I can really get behind the microdosing with dark chocolate throughout the morning. That's something. Or <laughs> <laughs> morning cocoa, right? <laughs> Especially when winter comes. Yeah. But I want to highlight something, Megan, because I think a lot of people don't realize how long it can take the body to clear the caffeine from your system. And if mm -hmm. we if we say for some of us it's up to 12 hours, 
that would mean if you're trying to go to bed by 10, mm-hmm. uh, you know, then that really means we really should be trying to, you know, be done with our last maybe higher dosing of caffeine around 10 a.m. Um, and so that's what I, I think is an important piece. The other thing that you said about um, alcohol is I have heard so many people, and even for me personal, I am an extremely sensitive person to alcohol. I can't even have more than like a couple of drinks without feeling like significantly impacted. Yeah. But my sleep is ruined every time I ever have even just a little bit of wine. Yeah. And so just to your point, taking stock of your patterns. You know what? Yes, maybe I have been engaging in this you know behavior for a year, but how is this really impacting me? Do I, every time I drink, always wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, feel extra worse the next day? And just using that as information to make, you know, modifications from. Right. So I think I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think there are two things very normalized in our society that we don't even question. We just kind of keep doing it. We keep having the 2 p.m. coffee. We keep having that drink before bed. And then we're like, oh, it's like, it reminds me of Albert Einstein's <laughs> quote, like doing the same thing over and over and not seeing a change is, you know, the definition of insanity. And so yeah. just, I love that you address that because I think it is important to start saying, well, is there opportunity for me to make some tweaks so that I feel better? Um, right. So I really like that you brought that up. Um, but I do, you started to talk about the different stages or you talked about REM sleep a little bit. Can you talk sure. just a little bit more about the um, stages of sleep that are important for just overall quality of life? Yeah, absolutely. Like what is happening over, you know, an eight hour night is what people love to know. And a lot of these trackers and devices we have now are trying to capture and give feedback about. So we start out in stage N1, which is about 5% of our night. And it means our starting to slow down. It's when we feel that drowsiness and are getting ready to move into N2. And stage N2 is 50% of our night, but it's still light sleep. So if you're ever, like you said, sleeping and you get kind of woken up in the middle of the night, need to go back to sleep, you were probably in N2. The next stage, we kind of, if you look at it like a pyramid where N1 is at the top, N2 is beneath it, then it has two branches below that. We go down to N3, which is the deep half of our sleep, and we only spend about 25% of our night there. We come back up to N2, and then we dive down on the other side into REM sleep. REM sleep starts about 90 minutes into our night, so it's really important to get you know an extensive night of sleep. And we have that dream cycle, memory integration, we come back up to light sleep, we go back into N3, and in N3, hormone goes up, our body starts repairing injuries and micro um, traumas that we've had during the day, then we move back into REM, and it just kind of fluctuates all night, so we call it sleep cycle. If people want to nap, people often ask, if I can get a nap, what amount of nap do I need? Usually 90 minutes will cover a full rest period during the day. If you don't have time to nap during the day and you just want to rest, rest physically, take 20 minutes to lean back in a chair and just quiet your mind, but maybe not go to sleep. So yeah, um, throughout your night, just kind of track. A lot of people wake up from REM and they remember their dreams. So that's what's happening when you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, I just had a really vivid dream and I want to write it down and interpret it and (laughs) alter Mm -hmm. my day based on my thoughts. That's what's happening. 
So we try to get, we want to get at least four to six cycles of sleep at night. So that 90 minutes, that's where that seven to nine hours is coming from. That's interesting. So I have a Fitbit watch and it tracks sleep and you can set your alarm where it tries mm -hmm. to wake you up during a light stage of your sleep. So you can set it within a range, ah. 30 minute to an hour range and it will, your alarm will sound off like when you're in that light stage. So it's kind of cool how technology is kind of catching up somewhat with us wanting to integrate better rest and better sleeping patterns. So I find when that happens and I wake up, I'm a little bit less groggy, less grumpy, and it's just a nicer way to wake up in the morning. Yeah, that gentle transition into waking up. Absolutely. We in our house, we bought some circular clocks where the light is yellow and it slowly gets brighter and you can adjust the volume and yeah, just that gentleness as opposed to the burp, burp, burp alarm, <laughs> you know, that's a little more stressful. <laughs> so. so that actually, I want to um, see if you can make some recommendations for sure. if somebody's like, yeah, you know what? I want to experiment with a slow wakefulness, even if mm -hmm. I still need some kind of device that wakes me up rather than natural waking and right. what they want to experiment. Do you have specific recommendation for like a product that somebody could try that's affordable? I think, you know, just because there are four different sleep types, the devices are going to have to vary by person. Mm. So some people have used uh, blankets that will actually warm and cool and they can set the times when the temperature changes. Other people have curtains that will open and close at certain times. I mean, it's just amazing all the things that we can do now. And then of course the alarm, picking and choosing the sounds. Um, but something we should probably touch on is the social aspect of sleep. And how many people talk about, you know, half of couples are divorced after they're married. What is the sleep situation? Some happily married couples are sleep divorced. So when you're looking at your sleep type, it's important to communicate your needs to your partner, including your pets, <laughs> the pets in your house yeah. want their own routine. <laughs> and are they diving on your bed or staying up when you need to be asleep? So those factors can be really important as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge point you make. So when I was first dating my now husband, he worked night shifts. Oh. And I remember he would get off his night shift at 5 a.m., come home to go to sleep, and then I would kind of wake up at that point, which is well, you know, well above what I would like to. I'm not a 5 a.m. riser naturally. So mm -hmm. that was a conversation we had to have as far as routines and habits and using different elements like um, light blocking curtains and just things to set up his environment so he could sleep during the day. So that was a big challenge. Oh, right, exactly. And you know, if you are one of the fortunate couples where your sleep type and your comfort lines up with your spouse, it's a blessing. <laughs> but you know, as you change your life, for people who are starting to have kids, sometimes it's a benefit to be off. So the early riser can take care of a baby early in the morning and then the late to sleep can take care of the baby in the late evening hours. And you become this power couple and community as you raise your kids. And then maybe one of your partners starts snoring. How do you navigate that? So the other person either has to wear ear gear or the person who's snoring might want to look into testing and apnea machines, which keep getting better and better. I should share a lot of those first machines were scary for people. Um, and 
you know, knowing that if you're married and if you're listening to this right now, or even share a space with your family, especially during COVID, how can you set up your own space and really preserve and commit to getting your own sleep quality? Because it's not the same as spending quality time with each other. We can make those moments of romance, of cuddling, of closeness that are separate from sleep spaces. So something to consider. <laughs> no, I think honestly, probably of anything you've said today, I think that is really powerful and important to normalize that mm -hmm. there may actually be a very big difference between, mm -hmm. you know, in um, romantic partnerships in terms of sleep types or sleep schedules and that that's normal. So don't, mm -hmm. not to feel bad about it, but, and also not, you know, find what works for you. And so I just want some clarification when you say sleep divorce, you're talking about, I, I interpret that as they're sleeping in different beds. Um, yes. because that is what preserves their sleep quality for both partners. Um, is that yes. what you meant? Absolutely. So it's kind of like that. I love Lucy old show where they were in two different beds, but yeah. more extreme, like people are in two different rooms and that that's okay that you can still be happily married and together, but maybe like three nights a week, you go to different rooms and then one or two nights a week, you share a room mm -hmm. um, because men and women have different needs as well. So for example, men sometimes feel relaxed after, say, uh, loving interactions. Women sometimes feel more energized. So you got to pick and choose your time of day when you're going to be interactive with each other according to how that's going to impact your sleep. So really just talking to each other and working it out, sometimes giving to one partner what helps them, and then other times I'm helping you. I know for me, my, I hope my husband doesn't mind me sharing, but massage. Massage is just that thing that I'm like, please just rub my shoulders for two minutes and I am out. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, on nights when my mind is really wound up. So um, asking your partner what would help. And it's okay if maybe one partner does want to have like a glass of wine and the other one doesn't. I worked with... Um, I was teaching actually a group class and I was talking about alcohol and the different types of people who have different reactions. So for example, Asians are very um, intolerant okay, often because their body has a response to it that just says, this is toxic, get it out. Or if I drink a little bit, I can't really break it down. Whereas Hispanics, for example, are really attracted and have a higher addiction quality to alcohol. So if you're in a family where one person is Asian and one person is Hispanic, the social pressure there is really going to cause some tension. And when I shared this information during class, the woman literally shouted out, oh my God, my Hispanic husband and my two kids are always trying to get me to drink. And when I do, I get sick, my face turns red, I get flushed, and I could never figure out why. And you just told me, and she was just like elated. And it's good to hear that, like, you're normal. You're okay. <laughs> You've got to listen to yourself first. Listen to yourself first. Trust yourself. Love yourself. And stick to your guns when you know what's good or not good for your body in those social circumstances. That's really reassuring, I think, for people to hear. Because just like any part of wellness or well-being, whether it's your diet or your exercise, or it sounds like even your sleep, it's very individualized. We have to figure out the best practice for you. So I do have a question. What if you're doing all the right things and you you know have your wind down routine for bedtime, but you climb into bed 
and you just can't get to sleep and you're tossing and turning and you're in bed for like an hour, let's say, what would you recommend? Uh, what science recommends, and then everyone can decide individually, is that there's something called paradoxical intention, which means try and stay awake. So rather than like trying to go to sleep, try to go to sleep, try and go to sleep, do the opposite. Get up, read somewhere else for 20 minutes, walk around for 20 minutes, and try and keep yourself awake. And usually what happens is the brain goes, no, I want to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the weirdest thing. There's a song I used to play in class from Mary Poppins that's called Stay Awake. And it dives down into her lyrics, all of those aspects. Don't put your head on your pillow. Don't close your eyes. It's just hilarious. And sure enough, by the end, you will be out cold. But overall, making that list of what works for you. So mm -hmm. that tracking method, Paige, you mentioned having your device and figuring out what time of morning and how you wake up works for you. Yeah. When people can write down meditation, the lighting, the temperature, the noise to find what works for you. I mentioned massage works for me. Another thing that works for me is a warm washcloth on my face, my hands and my feet. Something about that in my nervous system is very calming and soothing, but it's a routine. It's like an every night signal saying, this is the transition point. I'm getting ready. It's okay to relax. And building out that routine and consistency will really help your sleep quality. I love that you really focus on the fact that it's personalized. You have to kind of experiment for a little bit and then really creating. And it's kind of like that ritual. It's like this sacred ritual because sleep is such a big piece of our overall well-being. I mean, for me, I would say that's probably one of the top, you know, three things that drives our overall sense of like well-being and energy and vitality. So, so yeah. you did mention one resource um, at the mm -hmm. beginning, the book, The yeah. Power of When. Do you have any other resources around sleep science um, or maybe behavior resources here locally or just, you know, where they can um, learn more and start to craft their own rituals that'll help them? sleep well. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing we didn't touch on, I just want to say real quick, is the emotions. They, they've found that people who are fatigued are 83% more likely to be angry, irritated, and enraged. <laughs> so this is so important to emotional health. When we're tired, we're not nice people. So road rage and all of that. Yeah. And in terms of the five behaviors for preventing chronic disease, it's not smoking, regular physical activity, moderating alcohol, healthy weight. Number five is sleep. And to me, sleep is like the easiest thing and the most fun and most enjoyable <laughs> thing that people can dive into. If they're experiencing chronic disease, start with sleep. So uh, Paige mentioned, how do we calculate how much sleep we need? Sleepeducation.org has a bedtime calculator and you can put in your age and it will tell you a recommended amount. In New Mexico, a lot of our big hospital centers, UNMH, Presbyterian, Loveless, they all tend to have sleep clinics, sleep testing centers. If you are outside of the state of New Mexico, there's the National Sleep Foundation, and the website is thensf.org. If you travel a lot, an app that I like that is getting more and more attention and was developed for NASA astronauts and jet lag is timeshifter.com. 
because you know, we didn't touch on daylight savings time in those aspects, but you can check out the Time Shifter app to help you when you need to move your schedule by an hour or more. Um, Dr. Matthew Walker is another person who's always collecting and gathering new sleep science and information. Again, Dr. Michael Bruce is very good about the actual behaviors and habits that come out of the sleep science. And then of course, cdc.gov sleep has a lot of information and helpful resources for all these little aspects. Well, after hearing all of that, I can't wait to go take a nap in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were definitely some light bulbs for me, even though I feel like I've been immersed and I think Paige probably can agree in just learning about sleep. You gave me some insights and some light bulbs that even personally or even for my kiddos that, you know, there's still always, that's the beauty of wellness is and science is that it's always new stuff is being learned. And even though maybe you've had things that have worked well in the past, maybe because of season of life, you just, there's something new that you can try that will just enhance that area of your wellness or well-being even more. So you gave me some light bulbs. I'm hoping people listening felt like they got some light bulbs. So Thank you, Megan, for your expertise and your passion on this topic. Thank you. And thank you both for creating your morning routine classes and your productivity classes. I can't wait to check those out and keep learning from you as well. I really respect what you're doing with this podcast and the opportunity to talk to your listeners. We'd like to thank Megan for coming on our podcast today to talk about all things sleep and rest. From our varied needs of sleep duration and quality at different times of our lives, to things you can do to set up a productive nighttime routine to get the most quality and benefit from your sleep. For more information on the Solutions Group and who we are, please visit us at solutionsbiz.com. We hope you join us next time on the Wellness Connections with Solutions Group.